all of his greatness, for all of his goodness. We love you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. We want to welcome everybody here um, this morning. As I mentioned, today is Dedication Sunday, and uh, we do this a few times throughout the year. We pause and, and thank God for our families, thank God for new additions to families, um, and just ask Him to, to care for them, renew our dedication and our commitment to following Him. And so, um, if you're a guest this morning, welcome to Dedication Sunday. This is something a little bit different, but we are um, we are super excited for that. We we just believe in families. We love families, and it seems like you know families are kind of under attack in our society, and and uh, we want to do everything we can to make families great. So uh, we're really glad to to be here and, and and celebrating Dedication Sunday today to all the families. Um, this morning, this morning we have uh, Zachary and Jessica um, dedicating Grayson this morning, and Eli and Noemi dedicating baby Larry. Just kidding, it's baby Lucas, uh, but I've been teasing little Jaden that his brother's name is Larry, and he's not too excited about that. But uh, And then David and Melissa, David's up here with a guitar. He's supposed to be holding a baby, not a guitar. Uh, but they're here to dedicate baby Dallas this morning, and and we're just so excited about that and happy about that. But, uh, you know, as I, as I was putting notes together, sometimes what happens on Dedication Sunday is that everybody else kind of checks out, like, well, I don't got a kid up there being dedicated, so I'm just going to unplug, you know, start checking scores on. There's nothing going on. Like, people are kicking a soccer ball around, but that's not even a real game. Come on, you can't have a game where the score can end up 0-0. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? Yeah, it's not everybody, but anyway... Uh, but don't check out this morning because I think, again, like I said, for, for marriages, for families, I think what I'm going to talk about this morning, I feel like what I'm going to talk about is, is so very important. And uh, actually, as I, you can ask my wife, as I got to studying um, for this and, and putting some of these thoughts together, I texted her earlier this week and I just said, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's all I said, I'm sorry. And she had no idea what I had done or what is usually the case, what I had bought. But uh, she was... Um, I explained it to her, and I just, I, I think it's so important, even if you're not dedicating a child today, that, that what I'm going to talk about gets a hold of your mind and your heart, and, and you fully embrace this. But as I began to think of how to introduce this, I thought back to a time when I was in um, Spanish class and, and taking some Spanish classes in, in college, and um, I was actually in an advanced Spanish class called Conversational Spanish. Um, and when you are in conversational Spanish and your last name is Alvarez and you are me, you are not very proud of your very small Spanish vocabulary. And, and you don't have a very big vocabulary and it's hard to give a, a three to five minute speech in conversational Spanish when you don't have a very big Spanish vocabulary and then you've got to get up in front of the whole classroom and, and give this speech and there's nowhere to hide and everybody's going to know how hard you studied or how hard you didn't study for your, your Spanish speech and conversational Spanish. And so when I was writing my speech for conversational Spanish, I made sure when I was writing that to let everybody know. And then when I got up and actually started to give the speech, you know, in front of the classroom, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that I was embarrassed of my small vocabulary in Spanish. I was embarrassed of how little Spanish I knew, embarrassed that my last name was Alvarez, and, and there, there I was struggling. But, you know, I got up there, and I, I, I wanted to let everybody know exactly how embarrassed I was about my Spanish. And so I told that Spanish class... Estoy embarazado. 
a dar este discurso. All the Spanish people are laughing. All of you gringos in the room are looking at me with the same blank stare that I was giving the rest of the class that had started laughing at me because come to find out, embarazado would basically mean a pregnant man. It does not mean embarrassed. And so, yes, that's right. I told my conversational advanced Spanish class that I was a pregnant man about to give a speech to them. And I think I got like a C on that speech. It was not, it was not a good day for yo. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing about communication and the thing about sharing ideas is that communication requires a shared vocabulary. You got to be speaking the same language or else you just end up embarrassing yourself. You end up letting someone down. You have to speak the same language as your audience or you better have an incredible translator like we do here at church. But communication, it's an exchange, right? Communication is an exchange of ideas. In communication, you're exchanging your values with someone, your feelings with someone. You're exchanging love with someone through your words. And so for there to be an exchange, you need a shared vocabulary. And I think that's what's ha- what part of what's happening in this, this fast-paced and, and busy American life. And we're, we're seeing you know, more and more often, you know, just across the board, across demographics, uh, just that families are, are really failing at a fundamental level to communicate with each other. We are failing, really, as families in our society to tell each other how much we think of each other or tell each other or communicate our, our value to each other and how, just how deeply we feel towards one another, just how much we really love one another. And it's not because we're bad people. It's not because we're not trying to communicate. The issue is we think we are communicating, but we're really speaking the wrong language to our families. And, 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 you know, we think things like, you know, well, surely they understand from everything that we do for them that we love them, right? And that's just not always the case, is it? Surely, you know, they can understand that I'm, I'm working hard so they'll have a nicer house. That means that I love them. Can't they understand? I'm working overtime to give her a nicer car, to give him some nicer clothes, or just get rid of the ones with holes in them. Can I hear an amen from any ladies? But I'm working hard to give my kids an iPhone or whatever. You know, why can't they understand how much I love them by all that I do for them? Now, The problem is not that we're not trying to tell our families how much we love them. I think we're just speaking the wrong language. And so along the way, what we think we are trying to say or what we think we are saying by what we do gets lost in translation. And then a lot of times what happens is people don't understand the disconnect. And the person that's working extra, working hard or uh, absent from the home a lot, you know, they they don't really know what's going on, but they, they get their feelings a little bit hurt because it doesn't seem like their families do get what they are trying to say. And so it's like a snowball effect for some people. They start working harder. They start working more overtime. He stays later. She commutes a little farther. And then when he or she comes home, the welcome is a little bit colder. And the conversations kind of get peppered with sarcasm about being absent and these kinds of things. And, and with a welcome like that or when conversations get uncomfortable, pretty soon they just don't want to come home anymore. Because home is no longer peaceful And it's not that they didn't love them, but somehow there was a disconnect in the way they were trying to tell or share or show their love. And so people start working longer hours. People get a gym membership. People lose themselves in something. People lose themselves in anything 
just to avoid the discomfort that it's home, that's at home. And it may not even be, quote unquote, bad things that people kind of give themselves to, to avoid, uh, to avoid the uncomfortableness at home. But it's just something, anything. And, and more and more often in our society, we are seeing families and seeing marriages beginning to unravel. And, and let me just say this as a disclaimer today. If you're here and maybe you're, you know, this isn't your first marriage, or your first serious relationship. Listen, I, I want to say and make very clear that our church is not here to count how many marriages or relationships that you've had in your past, but we're here to help you make this marriage or this relationship count. We really want to help you make this one being worth lasting forever. So, so maybe you even know exactly what I'm talking about, that things eventually just unravel or unraveled to the point where everything falls apart and now we need some help picking up all of the pieces, right? And what, what's amazing, when things do unravel at that point, when things do reach the breaking point, it's amazing to me the language that is used when things unravel because you'll hear, you'll hear people say things like, well, out of the blue, he or she became unhappy. It came out of nowhere. But the person that's unhappy to them, they know it wasn't out of the blue, it was a long time coming, and, and, and you know, they'll say things like, well, she loves that more than us, and, and she'll look hurt and offended because there's no, she knows in her heart there's no way you could say that I love that more than I love our us, you know, and, and he spends more time there than he does with us, and he's thinking, well, the reason I spend so much time there is because of how much I love you and how much I'm trying to do for you, and doesn't that tell you that I love you? And it's a disconnect. The language doesn't work. And what you are saying is embarazado. <laughs> and it doesn't work. Or for parents, right? I mean, you know, they get to their freshman year and the grades fall off and nobody saw it coming. Right? They get a little bit older. They get into their teen years and all of a sudden, quote unquote, Kids start disappearing into their rooms and they shut down conversations and they're always on their phones and they shut the parents out from what's going on in their lives. But hey, the parents are really busy anyway. So it doesn't feel right, but yeah, you know, the little short, brief kind of conversations where you're really just kind of checking in with each other. I mean, it kind of works better for your schedule anyway. So hey, you just kind of go along with it. Some people just kind of go along with it instead of doing the hard and difficult and uncomfortable work of of. of trying to fix what's going on in the home. And this is uncomfortable, and this is getting quiet in here, getting a little, everybody getting a little fidgety, but I'm talking about some truths here. I'm talking about some very real hurts and problems that we are finding and seeing in marriages and families. And so they're, they're failing across our country at an alarming rate. Um, there's some research out there, I, I've spoke about this last year a little bit. In around 20 years, uh, experts, according to their research, are es estimating that around 85% of our population will be unmarried. It will be weird to be married in our society. It's strange that things are heading this way. And before we Christian, let me just say this, before we Christians kind of shake our heads at all the unbelievers, are our marriages so beautiful that they are inspired to get married like we are? Yeah, that one got really quiet. I figured that one right there. But just messing with somebody. I don't know. But you can take that for what it's worth. But there, there's a ton of reasons this morning that we, you know, we could kind of dive into and as to why marriages are failing or why families are kind of falling apart, this kind of thing. And, you know, today I want to address an issue. And what we're going to talk about for the rest of today is, is something that I think it kind of fuels those reasons. It doesn't even necessarily contradict or replace those reasons. It can actually fuel those reasons. But if we can get this right, it can actually diffuse 
some of those issues and some of those reasons why marriages and families fall apart. And it has to do not only with establishing God's priorities in our lives, but it has to do with how we communicate God's priorities to our families and to our spouses. Because whether we realize it or not, two things are true. Number one, we have already ranked our families on our priorities list. Turn around and tell somebody close to you, you have a list. You may not know it, you may not realize it, but you have a list. And then number two, the second thing, whether we realize it or not, every day we tell our families just how they rank. Man, that's getting uncomfortable. Mm, it's getting, getting tight in here, but this is all right. But this is how priorities work, right? You have a list of priorities, things that have to get done, places you have to be, that kind of thing. And in order for you to get something done, someone or something has to take a lower spot on your priority list, right? That's the way priorities work. We all have priorities, and we live them out, and we act them out every single day. And this is how we generally work our priorities. That's how priorities work. Here's how we generally work our priorities. We usually respond to the squeakiest wheel. We run from fire to fire trying to put it out. We're trying to rescue the needy. We're trying to step in and give attention to those who can't seem to stay out of trouble. And we end up teaching our spouses and teaching our kids that in order for you to get my attention, in order for you to rank higher on my priority list, you have to create a crisis. Because we have a list whether we realize it or not. And every single day, we tell our families exactly where they rank on our list. And here's the thing. Once there is a crisis in a family, and crises will come even in the best ordered family. Once there is a crisis, it's amazing to me what people will be willing to do to address the crisis. People will spend hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars on counseling when there's a crisis. You'll hire a tutor when there's a crisis, right? You'll work less when there's a crisis. You will gasp, tell your boss no when there's a crisis. You guys know how to tell your boss no? Yeah? Okay, okay. Come teach me after service. I need to use it on Chelsea, but. Uh, <laughs> you'll even tell your boss no. When there's a crisis, it's amazing what you'll tell your boss when there's a crisis. It's amazing what people will do with schedules when there's a crisis. It's amazing how people will rearrange budgets and, and use up vacation days when there's a crisis. And, and, and look, I'm not talking against that. If there is a crisis, you should do whatever it takes to try and address that crisis. But it brings up a really, really, really good question that in my life, I don't always answer right, and maybe you don't either, and that is this question. Why wait for a crisis? Why are you waiting till everything breaks? Why do we wait until everything starts to fall apart? Because what a crisis means is that someone in our family or in our life has figured out a way to jump a few notches on the priority list that we didn't even realize we had. So instead of running ourselves ragged, trying to put out fire after fire and trouble after the latest trouble, why don't we instead simply give priority to what is most important in our lives? Don't wait for a crisis. Just give priority to the most important people. Can I hear an amen before I go on? 
All right, y'all said amen, and you can't lie in church. Now, you, you may have noticed that work just kind of naturally creeps into the conversation, doesn't it? Work's just a huge part of our life. We all get this. Work is one of the main competitors with family. And again, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of reasons why, why marriages or families might have turbulence, but conflict with work usually has a lot to do with it. We're, we're worried about our work. Our work is important to us because work affects money. Work affects status, work affects security, work affects our activity, work affects our behavior, right? And then there's this whole other set of things that we may not think about consciously, but this other set of things that work also affects, like our self-esteem. Our work kind of affects and drives our ego sometimes. Can I hear a mm-hmm? Since y'all are so quiet this morning, I'm going to help you out. Work affects our sense of accomplishment, our sense of purpose in the world. To some extent, we all feel like we matter in this life because of what we do or what we produce at work. And so our our sense of identity is mainly derived from these two basic spheres or categories of life, work and family. About a third of your life will be spent at work, and about two-thirds of the rest of your waking time is going to be spent with family. And these are big generalizations, but there's a ton of research to support this, a ton of sociology and psychology all points to this basic breakdown of life getting identified or deriving value from your work and from your family. So it's undeniable that our success, it's unavoidable that our success or our failure in work and in family can have huge impacts on our quality of life and our self-esteem and the way that we have our, uh, the way that we see the future and the, our outlook for how things are going to end up. There, there's, it's undeniable how your family is and how your work is going is going to affect your sense of value and worth in this life. But before all the research and before all the sociology and before all of the psychology, God designed us to exist in these two basic spheres of existence. These are not supposed to contradict. God did not design your work and your family to conflict with each other. Both of these things are necessary elements of human life. And at the peak of creation, when you read the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, at the peak of creation, when God got close to the end of everything, God created human beings. And at first, you know, we we find out as we kind of dive into the story that at first God created man. And it shows us something, though, really, really important, that at the crown of creation, when God had made the perfect man in the perfect place, Perfectly in his own image, Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 15 tell us this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, everybody say, to work it, and to care for it, to work it, and to care for it. Before sin, before the fall, before the curse, and even before Adam had a family, To support, God created man and designed him to work. You were created to do. You were created to produce. You were created to create yourself and to form things and to curate things. It's it's part of our design. It's part of our drive. It, It makes us feel like we matter. There's a place in you that can only be satisfied by what you produce through your work. And, and we tend to think of work as something to be avoided. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? We, yeah, I thought that'd get a little bit louder. We tend to think, you know, well, I can't wait for the day when I stop working. 
but just ask my mom. When people stop working, they get bored. And when they are not golfing, they tend to annoy you and cause lots of trouble. But God created us to work. And, and just before he, he created this man and placed him in the garden to work, when God was looking over all of his creation, God saw everything that he had made and he declared time and time again, it is good, it is good. God made the sun and the moon and the stars. It is good, it is good. God made all of the creatures. It is good. And then God watched man working, but he saw man working alone and God said something that he had never said before. In chapter 2, verse 18 of Genesis, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Everybody say, be alone. Be alone. Humans weren't just created to do. Humans were also created to be and specifically, humans were created to be in a family, to be with a family, to be a family together. Your work is about doing. Your family is about being. Your work is about tasking. Your family is about loving. Your boss is happy when you show up ready to produce something. Your family is happy when you show up doing and being, doing and being. But what happens is that relationships and families start sailing choppy waters and, and people, but you know, all people, but especially men, we want to do something about the trouble in our homes. We want to put our hands on it and tinker with it and fix it and find a whatchamajiggle to get in there and tighten up something because, you know, surely we can do something to fix this. And then we get frustrated because there's nothing we can do to fix things in our family. You can't tweak one thing to fix your family. You can't do three steps to fix your family because your family wasn't created around doing things. Your family was created for you to be with. And there is no substitute for being with your family. There are no three easy steps to fix your marriage outside of simply being with your spouse. There are no five easy tasks to raising great kids that do not involve you being with your kids. You do things on the job. You be with your family. And it's when we start getting these two ideas mixed up that everything starts to fall apart. Now, don't raise your hand, but anybody ever known somebody at work that's been there for umpteen years? You guys ever worked someone that's been there like 40 years on the job, right? Their claim to fame isn't how great the widgets are that they produce or whatever. Their claim to fame is that they have been here the longest. They don't do much, but they show up every single day. Somewhere along the line... Their idea of the value that they contribute to their company has to do with how long they have been there and they have left off the idea that their value is, is given or, or made by what they do there. 
They've mixed up the family and the work dynamic. And the opposite is true at home. And in 2018 America, this is where we, moms and dads, can sometimes use the wrong language to say, I love you, to our families. You can tell your boss and you can tell your company how happy you are to work there by what you do and what you produce, but your family does not speak that language. And if you are absent from your family and just try and do things from your family, they will never understand what you think you are saying. Because you do things on the job, but you be with your family. And in our wealth-driven society, I mean, America's so materialistic, and, and you know, we, can, we can tell our families that we love them by earning more money and, and doing our jobs, but they're never going to understand. They're going to try to understand They'll even agree to understand for a little. They love you. They're your biggest fans. They're your biggest supporters. But there comes a point where they can no longer keep living without you simply being with them. They've tried to understand the language, but they don't speak the language that you are speaking. You might think, well, I'm going to show my daughter how much I love her by creating a really big college fund for her. But if it takes you a lot of overtime to build up her college fund, she's never going to get the message that you love her. You can't show your kids that you love them by giving them a bigger house if it means that you have to commute an extra hour each day and you're away from and apart from your kids. Now, this is not popular in 2018 Bay Area, is it? I knew it. I knew I wouldn't have anybody shouting and jumping up and screaming on this message But in God's original creation, listen to me, there is not supposed to be any conflict between your work and your family. God designed you to produce, and God designed you to find self-worth through your work, but he also designed you to find your self-worth and find your value in your family, being with your family. The thing is, we've all believed a lie. In 2018, we have all, in 2018 America, we have all believed the lie that the best measure of a person's worth is the size of their paycheck. We think rich people are more valuable than poor people. If you don't believe me, look at all the rich people that find ways around the laws they've broken. Come on, somebody. Come on. Villains are rich. Politicians are rich. Governments are rich, and if they're not rich, they can print their own currency. Lawyers are rich. All of these people are rich, and we can't stand them. Apologies to any lawyers in the room. Please don't sue me. (laughs) But really, do you guys see what I'm saying? But do we really believe that a wealthy parent would be better for our families than a present parent? Do you think your kid cares about your dollars per hour if they don't see enough of your face? No, they don't. They want your face. They want to hear your voice. They want to feel your hands and feel your arms. They want to kick a ball or play tea or whatever else kids do that are that age. You do things for your job and you do things to gain wealth, but you need to be with your family. Be with your family. 
And, and for sure, you know, this drive might be stronger in, in some men and some women than others, the, the being with the family. And, and there's a lot going on, a lot of, you know, controversy going on today with, you know, the gender pay gap and, and all of these kinds of things. And there's a ton of research that we could do on that. And I don't really want to dive into that today. Let me just say this to men and to women. Your drive to be with your family does not make you less valuable than someone who earns a paycheck. Your drive to be with your family that causes you to stay home and create an incredible home environment in which your kids thrive and grow up and be amazing people, that is no less valuable. You can look at today's society and say maybe it's more valuable than leaving the home, letting someone else raise your kids and gaining and earning a paycheck. That, again, is not going to be very popular today. I know that. I realize that. But I tell you what, more and more as I get older and as I look at people and families and, and kids and the, the, the things going on in our society with kids and, and, and diagnoses of you know, ADHD and these kinds of... There was a statistic put out a couple of uh, years ago by the CDC that more kids are actually diagnosed with ADHD than have ADHD. There was something like 11% diagnosed, and they estimate that only 5% really have it. It's sad to me. It's very real. There is a time and a place and, and some children where that needs to be diagnosed and treated. But I'm looking at all of the problems and all of the things going on in society, and the thing that is common to every single breakdown is absent parents. It is. We've got to do better as Jesus followers. We've got to show our world that there is a different way. There is a different value system that maybe the guy that designed us knows a thing or two about how we're put together. Can I hear an amen from somebody? And so whether a husband and wife both work or maybe just one chooses to be home, understand that the goal for family is that we are designed to be in the family relationship. And the only measure for your success at home is simply being there. It is being there. It's being there. Do you realize that you may not be able to open the pickle jar, men, and your kid still thinks you're the strongest man in the world? Come on, somebody. That makes me feel good. My kids are getting older now. They tell me that I'm overweight. But man, I loved it when my kids used to think I was handsome. Right? I mean, there's just something about it. Your kids love you like nobody else loves you, your husband, your wife, they can love you and they can give you a work like nobody, a worth like nobody else on this planet. But we are so tempted by the lie to run out and leave being with those people to go out and do something that we think is going to give, give us a better sense of our own personal value. But it's a lie. It's a lie. God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so he created a family. Family was designed to be the solution to aloneness. But the only way to not be alone is to be with someone. You have to be with your family. Now, there's the problem. There's the issue. Standing back, it seems really easy, right? I, I know what the answer is. I can solve this. Home is more important. 
Homes where we're unconditionally accepted and loved, and it's where our greatest fans live and the people that believe in us the most. And besides, don't we just go to work to make money to support home? I mean, it's easy to see. Can I hear an amen from somebody? It's not a trick question. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. It really is easy to see. Home is the most important thing in life. But why is it so hard for us to prioritize home over work? Why? Why? Ask somebody close to you. Go ahead. Ask them. Why? I'm about to start a fight in church. I saw some of you guys asked why Friday. Like, <laughs> why is it so hard for some of us to prioritize home over work? And I think the answer is our ego. I think the answer is that we have believed the lie that the size of our paycheck and it, it's become tied to our sense of self-worth and maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and you're not exempt from this. Maybe you're embarrassed to tell people that you don't work outside the home. Why would you be embarrassed of that unless you've bought into the lie that it's not as valuable as earning a paycheck? Don't listen to that lie. There is nothing more important than raising the next generation of doctors and electricians and missionaries and politicians. There's nothing more important than that. Never be ashamed of taking on the most important and underpaid and undervalued task this whole world offers us. Don't. But we struggle with ego. We struggle with our egos. We struggle with our senses. Tell the person next to you, get over yourself. Tell them kindly, tell them kindly, get over yourself. Chelsea's gonna, she's writing something down. I see her over there. But you know what else you should tell them? You should look at them. Go ahead, do this. I'll give you permission. Look, at, look right at them and tell them this. You're never more important than when you love me. I just got some of you a pass from the Valentine's Day you missed. So you might think all of this is leading us to the conclusion that just forget your work and family's all that matters. But although there's nothing God-honoring about a workaholic that neglects his or her family, neither is it God-honoring to not work, to not provide for your family. And so the conclusion that I'm trying to get us to is not to, to have one without the other. Or have one and not care about the other. But rather, we have a job, a hard job. We have to choose and decide that we are going to intentionally struggle and, and wrestle with the hard work of making sure that the right one ranks higher than the other. You have to do that. You have to figure out what that looks like for you. But look, maybe this will help you. I don't know. In the marketplace, you are expendable. But in the home, you are essential. Your company would still exist without you. Your home will cease to exist without you. If the economy takes a dive, you're going to be laid off tomorrow. If your CEO makes a bad decision, she's going to lay you off before she sells her lake house. Sprint, when I worked for Sprint, they outsourced my job to India. There I was, and I don't blame the Indian guys. If I was living in India and had the opportunity, I would have taken my job too. I was, <laughs> I was not, at, where am I on time? I got time. I was not a uh, Christian one night after they, uh... 
I used to work graves, and they had started giving our job to the people in India, and uh, I was a tech support technician for Sprint, you know, worked on all the switching centers, and they told, my boss told me, hey, you're just coming to work. It's kind of like an overlap of the, you know, thing, duties and responsibilities being handed off. Come into work and just sit there and just look at the alarms, but you can't do anything about them. <laughs> okay, you're going to pay me to be there. I mean, why not, right? I mean, played a lot of solitaire, but just, you know, show up to work and watch the alarms. And if anything happened, I could not fix it. My job, if something got really bad, my job was to call the folks in India and let them know that something really bad was happening. Well, one night I was there and uh, this big alarm went off. There was a pretty serious thing going on with the, the cellular network and my phone rings and it was Bob from India. And uh, he was calling me to tell me that this alarm had gone off and he said, you know, I, I, Jared, I, I need some help, you know, fixing this thing. So, if, you know, he was trying to be kind. He said, well, listen, if you were there and this alarm went off, what would you do? And I said, well, Bob, I'd call you. <laughs> well, right, I know, I know you'd call me, but, you know, what would you do? I said, no, Bob, you don't understand. My boss told me my only course of action when I see an alarm is to call you. Right, but how would you fix it? I said, I'd call you. He said, well, maybe I need to get their supervisor on the phone. I said, yeah, that would probably be my next step is to get your supervisor on the phone too. So get and I wasn't a very good Christian, and God convicted me. I felt very bad for Bob, but I never could find him to track him down and apologize. So <laughs> couldn't leave a note on his desk or anything. But listen, your role in your family is your only unique responsibility. You are not vital. You are not vital to the operation of your corporation. They will replace you in a heartbeat. But you should be the only mother or father your children ever have. And starting from now on, we can decide to be the only husband or the only wife that our husband or wife ever has. Prioritize what God made only you to do and let everything else take its place after. Paul, and I'm getting ready to close. Paul wrote to some first century Jesus followers in a city called Ephesus and they were trying desperately to figure out, you know, how to live this Jesus life and how to conduct themselves. And there was no real church like we have here in a sense of pews and sound systems and that kind of thing. It was more like small groups back then. And they came from backgrounds where the home life maybe wasn't as much of a priority as, as what Christians and, and Jesus had taught us to have. And so they're kind of wrestling with these issues of how do we treat each other and, and how do we love each other and how do we conduct ourselves and, and what does following Jesus mean? For the home, in Ephesians chapter 5, it's so beautiful. Paul takes us uh, to there in, in his letter, and he tells this church in Ephesus, and he tells us today, hey, follow God's example. God has left you an example. God's left you a blueprint, a template for running your home. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Okay, well, I understand that God loves me and I'm supposed to walk in the way of love. But what exactly does that look like, Paul? I don't know what you mean, walk in the way. It sounds great. It should be on a Hallmark card, but I don't know what that looks like. And he goes on and he tells them, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Do you see that 
that, that word there, the second one in yellow, gave himself, gave himself up, gave his own identity, his own reputation, his ego, and eventually he gave up his very life for us. Do you see what Jesus did? That he laid down his life so that he could elevate ours? Do you see what he did? He gave himself up so that we could find worth and value. Looks like a list of priorities. It looks like an ordering. And Jesus willingly chose to put himself below you. You and me. And Paul said that is the example. And he goes on and he talks to them about, you know, what that might look like in, in the things that they do. He talks to them about deeds and, and how to tell if their deeds are right or wrong. And then Paul circles over to family life. Paul gets ready to address, uh, you know, uh, husbands and wives and kids. And I, I think it's so cool that Paul starts, he kind of shifts the conversation to start talking about how we should be with each other. And he uses a word in chapter 5 and verse 21 that just sums up everything that we're talking about today. And it's like Paul was telling them, okay, guys, I'm going to show you what that looks like in the home. But before I get to the specific words for husbands and before I get to the specific words for wives, let me give you the lens through which you, could, you should see and read everything else that I'm going to tell you. And in chapter 5, verse 21, he tells them this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's about to talk to families. He's about to talk to dads and, and, and moms and husbands and wives and daughters and sons. And he's, saying, he's telling them, submit to one another. Which, you know, some of us that have been in church a long time, we know the whole thing about wives submitting to husbands. And that's never a fun topic to talk about right before Valentine's Day. Can I hear an amen from somebody? But what do you mean submit to one another? How can husbands submit to wives? How do parents submit to kids? How does a dad submit to a daughter or mom submit to a son? And maybe I think I know what it looks like for a son to submit to a dad. But how do parents submit to kids? And, and, all, and Paul is saying, look, I don't think I can make this much clearer. Submit to one another. Okay, well then, Paul, what do you mean by this word submit. And I didn't really know, and so I looked it up, and it's really cool what it, what it has to tell us. Submit in the English comes from a Greek word, hypotaso or tasso. I don't know. I don't speak Greek. I speak it even worse than I speak Spanish. So hypotasso, and it's primarily a military term, meaning to rank under, which means there's an order there. There is a list there. There is a hierarchy there. There's a higher rank, and then there's a lesser rank, and a lesser rank. And it sounds a lot like priorities. And when Paul is giving us the example for how to live out our family life, he calls us back to the example that Jesus Christ gave us and tells us that Christ submitted himself. He ranked himself underneath us so that he could lift ours, uh, us up. And when we reverence Christ's example, we rank ourselves lower than our wives. And wives, you rank yourselves lower than your husbands. And parents, you rank yourselves lower than your kids and you teach your kids how to rank themselves lower than the parents. 
And the whole family life in a Christian home is supposed to be a life characterized by mutual submission. By Christians living in close quarters with dirty socks and dirty dishes and lawns that need mowing and schedules and homework and bad hair days and good days and coffee and there's no coffee and all of, all of this stuff that each of us would choose to rank my needs below my wife's needs. For my wife and myself to put our needs below the needs of our children. And for our children to put their needs below the needs of mom or below the needs of dad. And it's a beautiful, beautiful home where everybody in the home understands the idea that we are a lot more important than me. We are a lot more important than me. My wife and my kids and the welcome that I get when I walk in the door is a lot more important than a promotion or a raise. Not popular. It's a lot more important than overtime or an extra hour of commuting or whatever else it is that is tempting you with an idea of self-worth outside of your greatest priority, outside of the design that only you can fill. We are more important than me. Come on, tell somebody next to you again today. I know I've had you talking at each other the whole service. Tell them, come on, we are more important than me. We are more important than me. And when we get this right, listen, when you get this right, when you start putting your family first and when you start ranking yourself lower than your wife or lower than your husband, when you start ranking yourself lower than your kids, you won't need to put out fires at home anymore because you will no longer be teaching your kids that to become a higher priority, they have to create a crisis. You've already made them your priority. You have already ranked them higher on your own. They don't need to beg for it or figure out a way to manipulate for it. You have already freely given it to them, just like Jesus Christ has already freely given to us a worth that we could never find on our own, forgiveness from the shame of our past that we never could seem to get to on our own, a, a release from the guilt of everything we had done. He freely gave it to us, and then he freely gave us a rank that was higher than himself when he laid down his life for us, for us. And Paul told the Ephesian church, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He didn't do an offering. He was an offering. He didn't do a sacrifice or produce a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. It's a doing versus being with thing. Think of what they said when Jesus was born. His name will be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. Aren't you glad that he's God with us? Come on, aren't you glad that he promised to never leave or forsake you? Come on, all over this room, could you give him worship and praise this morning for all of his goodness and all of his kindness? 
God came to be with us in the most amazing way. And because he came to be with us, we find ourselves valuable in ways we never were before. We find ourselves worthy of being redeemed. We find that someone has loved us when we were unlovable. Come on, somebody. He didn't, he didn't love you after you got all your junk together. He didn't love you after you cleaned up the mess you had made. But in our lowest, at the bottom, when we know we did not deserve his love, he came to be with us. God with us. And now his spirit comes to live with us. With us. And when the creator sees us being what only we can ever be, it's a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice to him and it honors his wisdom and it honors God's plan and it honors God's brilliance and it shines in contrast to the world around us. If we'll prioritize our home, our homes will be blessed. If we'll prioritize our relationships in God's eyes, our relationships will be blessed. Prioritize your marriage. Your marriage will be blessed. Prioritize your kids. Rank yourself under them and your kids and your parenting will be blessed. Can I hear one more amen this morning? God bless you. Can we all stand in the room today? I'd like to call all the families forward that are bringing their children, Eli and Noemi and baby Lucas. If you can come up maybe to my left. And David and Melissa and Dallas, if y'all can come maybe to the center here. And Zachary and Jessica and Grayson, if y'all can come to my right down here. All the elders of the church that I've talked to, Reuben and Ivan, coming over here to my left, if you do that. James Hightower, Carl, if you can come in the middle with David, Melissa, and Zachary, Jessica, over here with Jason and with Bishop this morning. What a beautiful opportunity to again dedicate our families and present our families to God today. I want to say to all the families here, your situation might be unconventional. Your situation might be less than ideal. It might not be exactly what you had planned from the beginning. It might be uncomfortable for whole seasons of life. And your family may be, or if they're not right now, they will face challenges that seem absolutely impossible. And they might be impossible to us, right? I mean, there's some things that we... We just can't fix. But the beautiful thing is God is not impressed by our idea of impossible. Hello. God is not impressed by our idea of impossible. God is not caught unaware by our circumstances. But he promises to be with us. To be with us as we work through these difficulties. As we create. i give you five later. When we align our priorities with God's, God's, God aligns his grace with our need. When we put our priorities in the order that God has asked us to put them in, we trust him, we show our trust by doing this, God gives power where we are weak. So to these families this morning, I charge you, choose to align your priorities with God. Choose to do that. Make that choice. Make that sacrifice. Whatever it might look like, whatever it might be in your situation or your your family, this is how you walk by faith. This is how you live out your trust in the wisdom and the faithfulness of God. When you surrender your priorities to his, he takes responsibility for the outcome. And our lives are blessed. Our lives are blessed. Amen. This morning I've asked some of the elders of the church to gather around these families and church family, if you're not up front, if you would just join us this morning and maybe stretch your hands towards these families. 
right now. We're going to pray together for these, for God's protection, for the God's angels to be around them and, and protect and watch over them. Come on, can we pray together right now for these families all over this room? Jesus, we bring them to you, God. We bring these circumstances, Jesus. We bring... Lord, the futures of these children, Lord, the futures of these marriages and these homes, and we place them into your nail-scarred hands. We look at your example, the fact that you came to be with us, Jesus, and we are moved. We are given value and given worth. I pray that each and every one of us, every parent, every husband, every wife in the home, Jesus, would give priority to their families, would rank them above themselves, would put the we before the me, Jesus, that we would find blessing, God, and living by your example, that we would find ourselves, Lord, encouraged, Jesus, and energized for the future, no longer afraid of a future, no longer worried about a future, Jesus, but energized by our faith and our trust in you and in your wisdom. Come on, all over this room, can you begin to thank God for these families? Can you begin to thank God for these moms and these dads and these children? Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we worship you today. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. There's nobody like you. We honor you with our lives. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. This morning, we have um, some gifts from the church to these families. These are simply ways for y'all to spend more time together. We have the Daring Book for Girls. Zachary, there's a complete instructions in here on how to set up an afternoon tea. And we expect to see pictures on social media of afternoon tea with little Miss Grayson. Got a princess table? All right, got to get a chair big enough for daddy, okay? All right, all right. For baby Dallas, y'all spell his name weird. For baby Dallas, David, you got two of the girl books David finally gets a boy book, can we hear? <laughs> the dangerous book for boys. Spend lots of time with little Dallas doing lots of amazing things. And baby Lucas, Eli and Noemi. Baby Larry, what's up? What's up, dude? He's smiling. What's up, man? I know my wife laughs at me when she sees me too. The dangerous book for boys. Spend time with these boys. You guys got a beautiful family. I love all of y'all. Can we give a hand clap for all of our families and the blessings of God? In closing out this morning, I'd like us to sing this song about the love of Jesus. And maybe, why don't we do this? Just Why don't we all just crowd around the front? Come on, we'll be here for like four more minutes, sing one more song, and then we'll move along today. Can we sing this song together? Come on, grab somebody by the hand and come close this morning. We'll sing this song together. Your love, your love, higher than the heavens, stronger than a thousand seas. Your love, your love, constant through the seasons, closer than the air. Oh, your love, your love, higher than the heavens, stronger than 
constant through the seasons. Come on again. Could you close your eyes and lift your hands with us and just give him praise this morning for all of his goodness and all of his greatness in our lives. Jesus, we love you for your great love. We thank you for your great love, Jesus. We sing of your love this morning. How great. How great. How strong. And how awesome is our God. I stand in awe of the never-failing love. Sing how great and how strong. How great. How strong. And how awesome is our God, I stand in awe of the never-failing love of Jesus. That sounds good, church. Come on, sing it loud today. Your love, your love, constant through the seasons, closer than Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. We love you this morning, God. How great, how strong, how awesome is our God. Stand in awe of the never failing love. Come on, one last time this morning. Sing about that never failing love of Jesus. How great, oh, how strong, oh, how awesome is our Savior and God. Oh, I stand in awe. Of the never-failing love of Jesus. Come on, can you clap your hands and lift your voices for the unfailing love of Jesus? Come on, a little bit louder this morning. Come on, a little bit longer this morning. Give praise. Jesus, we thank you for this morning, for your presence in this room. We thank you for the blessing of family, God, for marriages, for husbands, for wives, for children, Jesus. Such a blessing. Thank you for their innocence and their purity. Thank you for the the awesome responsibility, Jesus, to steward them, to present them to you, Jesus. We ask for your grace. We ask for your strength. We ask for the wisdom and the energy, God, to constantly fight and struggle with these competing priorities in our life. Help us to trust you, not just in the way we think, God, but in what we actually do to show our trust in you, to be with our families, to give them the highest rank in our life, Jesus, to rank ourselves lower than them, just as you humbled yourself to lift us up. We love you. We thank you. Come on, everybody say in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you as you go. We'll see everybody Wednesday night for family Bible study. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.